Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good middle of the night, depending on the time of day you listen to this wonderful podcast. You are joined by myself, Anthony Price. And Jonathan Bradley. And on this occasion, I will not be opening the bottle of wine at the beginning of our podcast. Because that's already open and cheers to you, David. Because we are actually having a very nice little Pinot Grigio podcast evening. And it's a little cheeky one that we uh, we bought from Luxembourg. Do, we, do you tell them where in Luxembourg we bought this wine? It was very cheap. Mm-hmm. And we what? ought to tell our listener, this is the first time that I have ever bought, well, in fact, encourage you to buy it, uh, Pinot Grigio from a petrol station in Luxembourg. Five euro sixty-five. Can't knock that though, can you? Eh. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Uh, so, as you probably gathered, you are joining us this week from Luxembourg on our magical mystery tour. This, in fact, is a sad occasion because it is the last time we will be broadcasting together in the same room internationally in FY nineteen, I believe. Well, and we also have to tell the listener that we are in an Airbnb. Yes, uh, and if Airbnb happen to be listening, our chief executive will happily stay in your places in future. Obviously, if you fund those visits for us, and we'll always say we're in an Airbnb, but other places are available. And incidentally, if you are a competitor to Airbnb, hotel chain or otherwise, we're always happy to stay in your facilities. But the truth is, the reason we're in Airbnb is because we, well, I was poor in my leadership you had one thing to do, Anne. Which was to book one the hotels, thing. and it turns out the whole of Luxembourg was fully booked, and I mean the whole of Luxembourg, with the exception of a rather mid-market hotel chain at best, who were looking for €434 Euros per room per night, which would have put our trip cost up by another €3,000 Euros for the next few days. Uh, anyway, what? Uh, so since we've last met JB, um, what have you been up to? Ah, well, uh, so I went on my wacky European trip, I went to Paris. Uh, My wife thought we were going there to uh, go around the lovely boutiques and um, around the lovely Seine and up and down the boutique shops and everything else. But um, the day we got there, of course, it was England uh, (laughs) versus New Zealand. And we had to go to the most lovely pub in Paris called Bombardier. Anyone, well, if our listener knows the Bombardier, it's a fabulous, fabulous pub. And it was absolutely packed. Great atmosphere. Uh, My wife um, wasn't that impressed, but uh, she warmed to the idea uh, by halftime because I bought a a bottle of Prosecco and that (laughs) calmed her down. And then afterwards we went on, did the usual thing in Paris and then flew to Barcelona and had a lovely time doing the usual thing, the Picasso, the Gaudi uh, and all of that business and then got back and came out here. There we go. And similarly, um, I got back on from where were we previously? I've lost count of Budapest, Hungary. We came back from <laughs> Hungary on the Thursday night. On the Friday, we had our uh, final preparations as our house went on the market on the Saturday. And then on Saturday, we went off to the Lake District for the week. Um, played, stayed in a very lovely place called Langdale. Anyone that wants to Google it, Langdale um, is a um, small village, but it also has a timeshare development, which you can also rent out the log cabins as uh, self-catering lodges. Amazing, happy place, no phone signal, lots of pubs, um, nice and autumnal, uh, lots of walks with the kids. Uh, the baby started walking, which was very nice to see. Um, and it was a lovely week. And then whilst we were there, the house sold. Um, so I, our children, as we pulled up on the driveway on Sunday, um, getting home back into my hometown of Fleet, or Church Crookham, as my wife insists I call it, 
um, there was a sold board up in the driveway and they for a second thought we weren't allowed back in the house because it had been sold. Little do they know how English uh, property law works. We'll be waiting probably until uh, 2025 until we actually complete on said purchase. Um, but I had a really good time and likewise to you out here now before my last few weeks of international travel. And then December, very much looking forward to a blissfully quiet month of, well, planning and of course, wonderful podcasts. Um, I guess we should touch on um, the episode's theme this week. So uh, if I remember rightly, Ant... Uh, we're going to fo- focus on virtual teams yes, and uh, how they work, making them work. Uh, and what are the advantages um, of working in that way? And how do you treat all of those people that might, rem- m- might work remotely when you may also have an office where you have some of your reports in the vicinity of yourself and you see one group day to day and another group you don't see from month to month to month and the truth is is as i think most of our listeners will be aware now with the exception of certain sectors where clearly you need to have a presence in your workplace such as hotels restaurants and bars remote working is becoming hugely more commonplace than it was say five ten years ago and of course with the beauty of technology that's also enabled people to be able to access um, the cloud and technologies to communicate more effectively. So we're going to look into that this episode. And of course, your questions. We have three, uh, I think, whopper of questions this week, JB, cool. from our listeners. But before we get into it, I need to share the fact that um, there, there has been some more feedback. Oh, oh yes. goody. So as you know, um, one of my former leaders actually listens to this podcast. He's called Paul. Um, hi, Paul. Hello, uh, Paul. He's currently enjoying himself in Barbados um, on the most ridiculous garden leave I've ever known. I think we should call it beach leave, but ho-hum. And every week he does like to call up after he's listened to the episode with his latest, he calls it coaching. I think it's more of an instruction of where uh, we're shit and how we can be better. But hey-ho, um, he rang me up and gave me some wonderful feedback, um, which was which was lovely to hear. Um, but um, since then, um, one of his comments was, am I the only listener? Because JB keeps saying the listener. So I had to point out, he jokes, he's only he thinks his wife listens. But we have reached a rather big landmark, which I'm unable to number, but it is a big number that we've reached now for downloads. So whoever is listening, thank you. Um, but oh. uh, um, it's hilarious when you record these and then two or three weeks later, you're laying on a sofa, as I was in the Lake District, um, uh, last week actually and a colleague a former colleague of mine who I've not seen I don't think face to face for five years four years maybe really lovely guy and actually a great leader and I should talk about it if we get a chance at some point later in the podcast anyway let me find the message from him. he's called Dustin not many Dustins in the world apart from famous American actors um, and anyway he messaged me randomly on Saturday night whilst we were watching I think something like Strictly Come Dancing which is this awful awful British television programme uh, and he his message was um, um, uh, he sent me a screen grab of the description of the episode and then put loving the podcast uh, I can switch off from all the noise we need to do a beer scene isn't that amazing that, I, that is sensational thank you Dustin 
That's yes. a fantastic bit of feedback. And then he then mentioned the fact that he's hoping that the headphones um, means he doesn't have to listen to the firework displays that were going on that particular evening when he was listening. I love Dustin. Um, in addition to that... Um, what, well, th- there's more feedback? There is. And it I shows don't, there's more than one listener. It, I'm not going to say the listener anymore. Yeah, sorry, Paul. Feedback taken on board. Um, so um, with the... Let, how do we do this? Right. So there has been some reviews on, on uh, iTunes, which is the one I tend to use and we are available on other ones. But there has been a comment, and I, and I have to read the sentence, which says, JB sounds like a top-quality posh consultant. <laughs> <laughs> have you not read these? <laughs> um, I'm sure I'll enjoy the rest of the series. Good luck with the podcast and keep them coming. Smiley face and a thumbs up. Um, a guy called Rylan who wrote oh, that. Oh, Rylan, um, that's funny. Yes, yeah, so uh, thank if you. Only, if you only knew me. So thank you for for listening. Yeah, he's far from posh when the microphone's <laughs> off. Turns into a right arsehole. Um, and by the way, we are trying to get an explicit rating on this podcast for an episode. So if we do drop some bloopers, they are intentional, just so that we can appeal to the more street world of where you know swearing is the fucking norm. <gasps> Am I allowed to say that? I, I sound when I say it like that, it sounds false. Well, you're not allowed to do that, are you? I've just done it. Well, that means, don't you have to go back bleeping it out? No, no, we're, we're, we're good. We just have to put the little explicit on on the, on the a podcast. Well, that's either going to lose all the listeners that we, all three of them, that we've just gained. We might get a one star now, but we have, we have lots of five star ratings. So if you do like the podcast, please do leave us a review and a rating. If you don't like it, email us first before leaving a rather crappy review. Um, tell us if it's something that's not good. Or do what my old boss does, which is call us up and say, it's great, but even better if... Um, anyway, um, <laughs> on to the subject in hand as we've been rambling for a good nine, ten minutes about our... Well, I haven't, trip. to well, be fair. Well, I think you went on a, a, a very lovelily about uh, your trip to the, uh, oh, yeah, the to, to Paris. Yeah. Um, so, um, leading remote teams, um, where, do you want, where do you, would you like to start with this? Well, I, so your experience of this is probably slightly different to mine, mm-hmm. although there are overlaps. So, uh, my... Uh, experience just being a posh uh, consultant um, which I will never forget now and so I've done web webinar stuff Uh, I've done one-to-one coaching stuff Uh, and my experience of these things and I, I you know I don't know whether this matches your experience but in order to get uh, those things to work You've, you've got to get quite a lot of trust happening. Mm. And I, I don't know whether this is appropriate to say this, but I think it's always better if you can build a relationship with people before you enter into those things and doing those things for them to be uh, trusted and, and worthwhile. If you've got a relationship to start with, uh, that's, that's a fabulous starting point. And, and certainly if I'm doing one-to-one work or I'm doing coaching uh, with a group uh, on, on the web uh, virtually, I, I feel that it always works better when I've, got some, I've established the relationship in the first place yeah. and then to go on from there. But that's my own personal experience so far. What about you? <clears throat> um, so I, I think you're right. I mean, I, you've you've been running your own company, but you manage, I know, a largely, you, well, the UK, but they're a remote workforce. But you, to your point, you've established a relationship with those yeah. people in advance. 
Um, now it's interesting if I look in my corporate experience because I've run a small business and they were all in an office with exception of the development team which were in another country so we had designated people that worked with a designated person in that country and they were the sole conduits connections if mm -hmm. you will between the two offices and everything else was done in person so that that is not what i think we're talking about here my first experience of of remote working exactly as you've described it um, was a uk-based organization who had um, people that were in the office one day a week every monday to set their meetings have their team calls and meetings and set up their client-facing meetings, a sales organisation, uh, for the rest of the week. Mon uh, Tuesday to Thursday, Tuesday to Friday, they were um, out in their markets uh, pitching to clients. And the only way that they would then meet up with people face-to-face -face would be on patch with their manager who would attend calls and meetings with them. But it was a very much, that was how it was done. And I think there was always a lack of trust if they, they never wanted to allow people, you know, actually, so the office spaces in this organisation were vast because you'd have 50 people in the office on a Monday, but then Tuesday to Friday, they'd be empty. And logically, you'd think that's a vast expense, which is unjustified. But there was a lack of trust that existed that people could not surely work independently from home and have a full diary for the rest of the week. This would it'd be absurd. But I do also see the value in a, in a, in a pressure environment on a Monday when there's a big you know roar of noise to get calls and get scheduled appointments because it was a very KPI-led business. So that that was my first experience of it, and it and and it was frowned upon if you were working from home other than um, in between appointments, and you happened to be on that patch. That was the, the almost a taboo working. Well, I think I remember the early days, which show my age a bit, but um, doing the sort of dial-up from home, <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know the connection was really really poor, mm. and it was the days when people, uh, you know, you'd say, "Well, I'm I'm working from home," and then you'd get this sort of yeah, uh, and I think things have changed completely. I do, I do think things have changed quite a lot. I think for some, some most. Um, yeah, and then um, I started working with a company that you and me met at, <clears throat> and my boss was based in Bristol. I was based in East Anglia, which are poles apart. Uh, although my home, by the way, was was home counties, about twenty miles north of London, and it was a hundred and ten mile drive to the the radio station in which I was the sales leader of. Um, and um, during that time, my uh, one of my line managers, I had Matrix Reporting, discovered this thing called Skype. And it was transformational for him, a guy we both know. Um, I don't know if I should name check him, Campbell. There we go, I've name checked him. We can tag him now, so hopefully he'll listen and then say, we're shit. Um, you're not doing any swears, I've noticed. That's I'm, I'm still quite nervous about doing That's because that. you're a posh consultant. Okay. It's true. Yeah. Rylan, thanks for the feedback. Thanks. Um, and so Skype was transformational. We would see each other probably once a month. Other than that, it was all of a sudden no longer a phone call. It was on face-to-face -face videos. And it was this, wow, this is, this is cool. Fast forward then to 2015. So nine years later, I'd run a small company, um, moved on from that, um, and um, uh, was approached to work for my previous employer via an agency. Um, and my boss was based in the US. Um, and I had a face-to-face -face interview with somebody random at our local office to kind of, I guess, do some initial interrogation. Um, and again, I was approached by them. So I kind of went in with a relatively, I guess, relaxed approach to it. But nonetheless, got through to this extra stage where I then had an interview with my boss. And it wasn't by face-to-face -face Skype. It was by intercall um, or a conference call facility. I got the job. 
I actually didn't meet my boss until I'd been with the company four months. And when I met her face to face, the first time I met her face to face, the opening comment was just to let you know I'm moving on. So, oh. um, so I actually um, had a relationship established and a job offered to me on the basis of having only a remote relationship. Um, and um, incidentally, in the company I work at now, I only have two people working for me in the UK, the same country where I live. And the rest of my team, who, there are 19 of them, are everywhere else in the world. So different time zones, um, different um, jurisdictions, different mother tongue in all but one of the cases. Um, so therefore, um, for me, it was the first time of having a truly remote workforce. Um, so, so I guess it's been massively different. Um, well, it's like a, it's like a well that transformation is like a, a rebrand from the early days of this being working from home mm. to this other thing called remote working. Yes, and so technology has assisted that uh, substantially, hasn't it? I mean, what you can do now uh, with things like Skype and Zoom and uh, Microsoft Teams, um, the other one that you like, which I... Oh, tried. Adobe Connect. Yes, that mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Which is fantastic. I mean, it's got fantastic capabilities uh, with, with the technology, uh, which allows for, you know, really decent presentations and classrooms and all sorts of things going on within it, uh, which has transformed uh, the whole opportunity for um, remote working. And, and virtual virtual teams, which is kind of where we where we started off from. Um, so just to kind of pull this together a little bit, the the starting point for us was this trust idea. And uh, I, I'm as I'm speaking, I'm thinking actually the, the the technology has helped to build or to break down the problem around trust uh, because it has become an incredibly effective way to conduct meetings, yeah, uh, to conduct presentations, to conduct pitches. Uh, recently, I've been doing quite a lot of work uh, with uh, actors um, that I work with who are doing uh, practice sessions uh, with people having different types of conversations around the world. And that is just a tremendous use of uh, that, that virtual technology, particularly when other people uh, can observe those sessions um, and give feedback uh, and so the, the, there has been a technological transformation as you describe it um, and, and maybe and it would be useful for you to describe uh, some of some of those uh, things that you use and how you've used them okay yeah uh, um, good good question and it, and it also makes me think about you've made reference there outside of leadership actually client pitches and general communication has improved with the use of technology um, we in um, communication training programs that we run at my organization right now we talk heavily about engaging the audience regardless of their 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 culture their background and so on but one of the elements we look at is vak which you and i will both be yeah. very familiar with and for the listeners benefit vak stands for visual auditory kinesthetic visual being um you know vak is ultimately the the main ways we receive information let's let's put it into layman's terms visual being through the eyes um auditory through the ears and kinesthetic through doing and i guess cognitively engaging your brain in processing something that's been requested 
requested of you rather than just absorbing. Visual and auditory predominantly is an absorption of information given to you via the ears or the uh, eyes. So um, I think in the olden days, if you will, just in the world of, of a telephone, you are only engaging with your auditory preference audience. Um, with JB's point on interactivity and polls and chat boxes and functionality within um, webinar solutions, mm. you are engaging not just the visual because now you can share your screen. And this is the risk. I think many, what I do see when I watch virtual meetings at the minute is you see um, lots of PowerPoint and a great speech. Yeah. And you and you and I both know with one of the functionalities of one of the companies, which is going to remain nameless until they sponsor us. <coughs> um, but one of the functionalities of one of the platforms we use, we can see as host of the meeting who has minimized the screen or has clicked on. They've got two browsers open or they've got two screens. And I'll ask on one screen, they've got Adobe Connect or Skype or Teams or a go to meeting. Uh, and on the other screen, they've Surprise. probably got their email. We can see on this particular platform when they've clicked on their email and they are then doing, we can't see what they're doing, but we can see through the status that they're no probably longer just engaged. as well in some cases. Yeah. And I think um, what we then do, by the way, is because we can see individuals' names, we then go, oh, you know, JB, what do you think to that? And all of a sudden you see green status. Oh, I'm mute. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm yeah, fine. Um, but... The beauty, going back to the VAK piece, is that you have visual through the PowerPoint, you have auditory through your audio, but kinesthetic is actually through the interactive pulse. And actually, I'm gonna ask you a question, using the chat box, send me an answer on this question, uh, or unmute yourself and answer this question, or as you and I talk about with communication, leadership and inspirational stuff, is actually storytelling and think about a time when. Rhetorical questions that engage your audience kinesthetically really helps. And I think with virtual teams and virtual communication, technology has enabled us to be much better, to force us to think about how to make virtual communication better. If you and me were in a room having a meeting now, we would have a whiteboard, a flip chart, a piece of paper, we'd be you know, both making notes as you and I are doing right now. In a virtual setting with a computer, often I would, would venture to suggest People don't have a notepad, they have just the machine in front of them and they're staring at the screen and they're not necessarily getting the kinesthetic part of their, their brain engaged apart from absorbing the visual and the auditory. And I think where technology's helped with a communication piece especially is that you are instructing human beings to get kinesthetic. Answer this question, get on the poll, um, make this comment. Can I just probe you a little? Um, we want an explicit rating, so why not? Um, I that's as far as I'm going to go with that explicit oh, stuff. Um, so the visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, the percentages uh, on these three areas go as follows. Yeah. Uh, so the visual visual learners tend to be around twenty percent. No. Forty. Forty. I've got that wrong, haven't I? Uh, the auditory is 20% and the kinesthetic is 40%. That's it, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so when, when you've got a, a virtual uh, communication uh, interaction going on, does that change? And, and that's the point. I think where pe if, there are, if you are a leader listening to this and you manage remote people, um, having your meeting solely by phone without any visual stimulation... Um, and okay, I respect a one-to-one -one is a, is a two-way communication, which does engage the kinesthetic part of people's brains anyway. 
So that we're not talking about one-to-one phone calls, but if you are doing communication around your vision, your purpose, your values, your strategy, mm. um, you have to be mindful that you're only, if you're on a phone, you're only reaching 20% of your audience's preferences. So, you know, one in five people have an auditory preference. So all of us in the world, to JB's statistic there, 40% of the world prefer visual communications. We all take it in all three ways. 40% prefer visual, 20% prefer auditory, 40% prefer kinesthetic. The good communicators are the ones that can, um, can mix all three of those. If you're doing a communication or a speech, you make sure all three of those are encapsulated in what you're communicating. But we'll talk more about that in perhaps a separate podcast. So this uh, leads me to my next point, which is if uh, the auditory part of it is uh, the, 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 smaller, the smaller part, yeah. then if someone's banging on on that uh, virtual communication meeting, with a drony old voice, which is often what you get on these things. Yeah. Not only have you failed, uh, because that is only 20% of the attention of your audience, but if you haven't gone to the trouble of getting your voice right, mm. and, and I'm talking from a kind of radio background here, yeah. then you're a bit screwed. Which raises the next point, which I, and this this for me is 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 where I think our background is quite useful, is when you have people doing a a podcast or a virtual communication using a radio style, and possibly even going to the trouble of a double header, mm-hmm. where you've got two people having a conversation, interacting with the audience, building pictures in the listener's mind yeah. and also you know doing doing the touchy feely stuff uh, which you know you mentioned polls but it's also possible to get people imagining uh, the feel of things theatre of the mind they used to call it in radio didn't they that's exactly it it's the theatre of the mind and, and also you know thinking about your presence warmth and power in the way that you speak and, and some people just come on to these uh, communications and presentations with their PowerPoint, and it's almost at that point I'm I'm lost. If someone's trying to sell me something uh, <laughs> via a, a virtual communication and they're banging on, droning on, uh, hiding behind their PowerPoint presentation, I'm out. Mm. It's not for me. What do you think about that? Well, I think actually we talk regularly. Um, with people we work with at the minute that there is PowerPoint fatigue in businesses. You are fed up. If you see that temp- that PowerPoint template which has been you know given so much corporate attention and is so heavily regulated, people just actually, your PowerPoint blends into the 15 previous PowerPoints they've seen. So actually you're almost prejudged on the quality of the PowerPoint template because they condition their brain to think this is nonsense. Um, I would agree with you um, to a point um, and I, uh, and linking back to your your previous point on the tonality of your speech as well, and and we of course we are aware we're, we're a podcast, so we are predominantly communicating um, via sound. But as a virtual communication to you right now, listening to this podcast, we can create a kinesthetic preference for the audience if we want to. So JB, regularly you talk about. Um, uh, imagine this situation on the beach. You know, you, I'll yeah. let you, you you tell the the 
the, the, the listener your imaginary thing and hopefully we'll get this to resonate with the listener. Oh my goodness. Well, so uh, I, I talk about uh, being by a swimming pool and having your feet dangling in the water and having a glass of gin and tonic and in it some lovely ice and some lemon and it's chinkling about. There is some ice in the fridge but I don't want to ruin the is wine. Is it really? Yes, there is. Oh, well, tell me. But I don't know who, who did the fill the trays. And you know that feeling on, on the outside of a glass when you've got ice on the inside and your fingers almost start getting stuck to the side of the glass because it's so cold. But then there's condensation dripping down the side as well. Oh. And that's that sound of the ice rattling in that glass. And just at the other end of the pool, managed by someone else, thank goodness, is a small child in their rubber ring, just splashing about gently in the distance. And the smell, the lovely smell of the chlorine in the water. I'm a bit funny about chlorine in the water. I do like it. <laughs> um, but the trees... And the lovely scented flowers all around the pool. And the poolside music. Poolside music. Beautiful people like us. Clearly. Thank goodness we're a podcast, not a video. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you wanted? Absolutely. (laughs) So I think what we're trying to articulate here is remotely you can engage an audience. But I think JB raises a very important point that you have to be conscious of the style of preference of the your audience's receiving of your communication. So from a communication standpoint, use your technology. If you are using a conference call facility rather than a webinar platform, share some visual information to maintain the attention of your visual audience. JB is articulated and I think um, you are a capital K, lowercase a, if I don't mind uh, telling you. So you're a kinesthetic primary preference, auditory is your secondary, visual is your third. As well as a posh consultant. Posh consultant. Is, I don't know I how think, I put, fit all of this in, to be honest. Rylan, you've, you've clearly given him um, an audience in his head now where he's just going to think he's a posh consultant. So, <laughs> but for the international audience, JB does have a much nicer accent than my good self. I'm home oh, counting. Oh, and that's so not true. Oh, thank you. For, tally-ho. I'll tell you what we ought to do, though. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to be as least posh as I possibly can be. Uh, and failing, <laughs> I guess. Okay. <laughs> I think it's time to to do. Let's get practical. Okay, you know, I haven't. I've Where's got the s- jingle? Hang on. I've got oh, soundboard. Hold on. Hold on. You're you, so unprepared. You need to warn me of these things. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Soundboard. Uh, what do we want? Okay. So let's get practical. Okay. One second. Here we go. No. I don't like that one at all. Okay. That's someone mowing around the pool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, here's a practical moment. <laughs> okay, you need to do some work on that. All right, fair enough. Um, okay, so let's get practical. Uh, we started off with trust mm-hmm. and uh, some ideas around uh, trying to get your team together, um, even if it's only once a year, uh, and, and actually just getting people to kind of know each other uh, and and then build, build some trust. Uh, and we talked about... Uh, the the trans transformation from uh, working from home to this kind of remote working idea, which led us towards the technology and the advantages that we now have uh, with the wonderful technology of classrooms, uh, of polls, uh, of lots of people being able to um, vote with their with their hands and and doing all sorts of lovely things, um, and with that 
we added the VAC, the VAK, and, and I think they work in quite nicely. Uh, remembering, of course, that uh, VAK is 40% visual, 20% auditory, and 40% kinesthetic, which is the touchy-feely stuff. And with that, uh, you mentioned that wonderful thing which reminded me of, of Radioland, which is that fantastic idea of theatre of the mind mm. uh, and, and, and really creating the theatre. Uh, this can be done by one person, but it also uh, can be done by a couple of people uh, on virtual comms. And it, it actually doesn't cost very much to just get two people doing a double header, having a bit of a conversation, yep. doing a little bit of banter and in engaging and involving the audience and telling stories. And we gave the example there of the swimming pool, which is a bit random. Um, but anyway, hopefully, it's, hopefully yeah. it got, got across the point. And I liked your language, actually, and about... I thought you said you didn't like my language. No, I love your language. No, well, that sort of language on our podcast, I think we have to be a little bit careful. Sorry, posh man. We don't, we don't know uh, all of our listeners now that we're expanding our listener base, base mm. substantially yes. to four. Um, your language around having a kinesthetic preference, um, I think, was something that you said. Yes. Um, and you, you in particular, yeah, you're a touchy feel, yeah. kinesthetic, um, and and I guess one having a, a visual. So I I would actually say a V A K preference to to make sure that you use those. There's a, an aeroplane uh, going overhead. Everybody, it's in very Luxembourg. close. Yeah, we it's... are in a very salubrious part of Luxembourg that Ant has selected for our accommodation on this trip. Um, and so the, I think the, the key word is being deliberate. Being deliberate in the way that you use your technology, in the way that you use VAK, uh, and also the way that you use your voice. Perhaps actually that voice thing uh, might be something we could focus in on and get some of our radio chums mm. uh, to perhaps have a have a little bit of a conversation about that and some, some of our actor mates as well well I, I, I at this point i think is a, there's a worthwhile interlude um to make reference to kid jensen oh um, who we could have had on this oh. week's podcast yeah um just to to explain for those listeners that have not heard of kid jensen he's a uk broadcaster from originally from canada um was a top of the pops british presenter as well in the 80s massive um, uh, massive personality in the radio world. Me and JB sat next to him on the plane out to Luxembourg yesterday and we were too starstruck to say hello to him, despite the fact we both spent years working in, in fact, the same company as him, but were too kind of embarrassed. Because you don't know with celebrities whether they want to be um, noticed or not, but but there we go. Um, to, to, to go back to your 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 point on the, the voice thing... Um, I think um, we, we, we're hoping that this is resonating with the listener. But I guess for some of you listening on this podcast, there is a question in your mind about this relationship piece that JB mentioned at the beginning of the episode. How do you build a relationship with a remote team, especially where in some instances you might inherit a team that you don't meet more than once or twice a year and you don't have those opportunities? I have uh, two of my direct reports. I didn't meet for three, for three four months. Um, until I finally had an opportunity to see them at my first off-site. Um, and I think it's worth spending some time thinking about how we work remotely, effectively, when building relationships. JB's sneaking off somewhere. You're getting the bottle of wine, by chance? 
I was going to do the same thing. I'll ramble while he gets the wine then. Um, are you getting it? Yeah. We have a kitchen in this apartment. There is positives to it. So we have a fridge that hasn't got those sensors that charges the reception every time. Uh, anyway, um, I think, look, the, the building relationships are quite important. Um, thank you so much. Um, it's a very nice nice wine, actually. I think we're going to have to get more of this. Um, when you're managing a remote team, um, there is a risk. If you have some people that are with you face-to-face -face whilst... Jesus Christ. Sorry. <laughs> um, was that demonstrate? Were you trying to make it very audible for the podcast? <laughs> so, I'm, not, I'm not concentrating on my VAK. Okay. You're closing the door, what, in case it happens to crash around again? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, look, if you have a team of people that are partially remote and partially in person, I think there is a big important point here to ensure that you keep the relationship consistent. There is a risk, for example, that you give more attention to your face-to-face -face personnel than your remote personnel. I'm fortunate that I am a remote worker myself, and therefore, as a leader of a remote team... Um, it is consistent in the way I um, work with each of my team members. Remember, I have actually a 14 and a half, no, 14, sorry, hour time window of my team's working hours. So I'm bang in the middle of, of in the UK. I have minus seven in Costa Rica. I have plus seven in Shanghai. So actually my team's working hours aren't consistent with my own. I have two UK reports one of which lives in London, one of which lives in Southampton. Um, there is a risk that I could give my London and Southampton or my UK employees unfair advantage and attention like versus... A, like a remote mode. Yes, 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 agreed, um, um, I think. Um, so I think, look, the, the important thing is here, you need to, uh, number one, um, whenever I host a team meeting... Um, if I happen to even be with one of my direct reports, I will then say for the meeting, we can't be in the same room. I think it's important that everybody has a consistent experience and they feel fairly treated. There is an absolute risk. And I've been there myself when I first started being a remote worker without direct reports that you feel excluded. You're always the person, because there's a meeting going on, you're just observing a meeting, much like listening to this podcast. You're trying to get it in, you have a point to make, but at no point does the person in the room come to, actually, what do you guys think on the call? You know, I'm conscious, you know, and I've sat in a face-to-face -face meeting and I've often interjected saying, hold on a minute, don't forget there's three people on a conference call here that might have an opinion too. So if you are managing a remote team, um, especially as a leader of that team, less so if you're managing a project, and we'll talk about that, that's perhaps a different topic really. If you are managing a team of remote people, every one of those people should be treated consistently in the way in which you work with them. So arguably, I admit, look, I have more face-to-face, one-to-ones with the UK people than the internationals, but team meetings are absolutely consistent. I also probably give an unfair scheduled advantage with my remote workers more so because I know that my UK people will happily ring my mobile if they've got a quick question. Um, whereas actually I know that in the mornings my APAC colleagues are online but it's there four o'clock in the afternoon. So I need to give priority to those people because I know that give me my 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, that's their day done. And meanwhile, at three in the afternoon, I know that my America's colleagues are coming online and they are only going to get my attention for three, four hours. 
So I think there, there is a few things at play here. Number one, if you're holding a team meeting, you you treat everybody consistently. Do not allow your 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 face-to-face employees to have an unfair advantage in those meeting settings because you will have your remote workers feeling excluded. So um, with that, uh, I was just thinking about how I'm understanding that, and mm-hmm. it's like a it's like airtime. Um, and you know, being conscious of the airtime that you're given or giving rather to everybody uh, involved, whether they're sitting opposite you or whether they are in Singapore or Shanghai or wherever they happen to be. Mm. So it is again, it's that that kind of word deliberate uh, comes into play, being deliberate about the equality uh, of the airtime uh, within your team um, and not not falling into the trap of giving disproportionate attention uh, to those within the the remote moat, uh, if you like. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I just quite like that. I'll, I'll stop doing it. If it no, 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 it, no. It's annoying. No, it's not um, annoying. But the, but the other key the, the other key word was 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 about being consistent. Um, so the, I, there's there's some approaches here uh, to uh, the, to remote uh, virtual communication. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about, you know, building it, we've talked about technology, we've talked about, uh, you know, the presentation of it, the style, um, what, what I think would be quite useful, and, and hopefully we can get into some practical areas about, you know, tasks, process, objectives, goals, when, when you're in those uh, virtual meetings, how do you go about uh, planning and processing and you know thinking about things like you know the the tasks that need to happen because if you've got someone doing one task in Romania and another person doing another task in Miami and, uh, and another I mean I don't this is probably reasonably true in your case um, and another person doing another bit in London you're going to have more of a focus on the task uh, and and keeping track on that, keeping order on that, uh, rather than in a meeting that's all happening in your own office. I'm throwing that out there. I might be wrong, but I, I'm thinking that that's going to be something worth discussing. I think um, you, you, you raise an interesting point. I think in our team meetings and in historical meetings that I've attended, um, there needs to be a conscious inclusion of as many people as possible. Um, and in some cases, there is clearly an, an appetite and a requirement for a round robin. Actually, everyone has three minutes to give their updates to what, they, what needs to be known team-wide. Uh, and there is actually, we sometimes say, be conscious of the things that aren't required to be known team-wide because that's a waste of your time and we have a really tight timeline. We have an hour and a half a week. A fortnight, sorry, is our team. Our team, our whole team call is once a fortnight, hour and a half. So it's it's very, it's a bit like broadcasting. Everything's back timed. Yeah. You know, you've got three minutes, three minutes, three minutes, time up, next, 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 next. But there is a risk that then can sound quite robotic. Um, and therefore, I guess in, in engaging and inspiring some of your remote colleagues is delegating particular subjects within the meeting exclusively to them. So um, something that we've toyed with um, with my team and we've played with is that actually you delegate to someone in your team right each week can you do industry updates you know can you do a bit of research as to industry news that's going on at the minute that could be relevant that none of us know 
and actually you have five minutes in the schedule it's always item three da -da 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 -da. and actually each week we're going to rotate the chair of the meeting just because i'm the leader of this team doesn't mean i i chair the meetings actually there's going to be a rotating chair who will be the host and they will be the agenda master for that week and so on those sorts of things actually make I guess when it's your turn, it puts some people outside their comfort zone, but others, it's a real sense of empowerment. I feel included here. Um, so I found that the, the, the conscious inclusion um, is, a, is a big part of, of remote and leading remote teams. Um, and actually the, um, the unexpected interventions are quite good too. Um, so we have a WhatsApp thread and we ask people to share photos of what they're doing. That's pretty cool. Um, I've noticed now, it's, it's stupidly, so quite often I'll, I'll be on these team-wide calls and I'll be in a car or in, in an airport. So I'll be on my mobile phone, whereas the, most of the team are on laptops. And there's a chat thread in our team call now, so you'll be sharing screens at various points. But in the chat box, everyone's using emojis these days and GIFs. Um, so it's quite funny. You, you'll all of a sudden look back at the chat thread after a meeting going, what the hell happened there? Because there's you know, dancing people, smiley faces, pop, uh, you know, champagne corks popping, um, congratulations, well done, great news. But obviously there's no context to it unless you could play back the meeting. So I think um, conscious inclusion is a big thing um, and delegating sections of the meeting that empowers others to feel included is a really useful tool when leading a virtual team. And how is, uh, how is technology keeping up with that? Because, you know, on, on projects, that uh, you might be running, uh, keeping everybody on track with their part that they're playing. How do you how do you work with that? And what's available? So uh, we, we've touched on it earlier. You've you've clearly got um, the ability to share images um, via WhatsApp or or through your um, through your Skype or your Teams or your Adobe or or any other um, software for that matter. Um, and these days. So long as you have a solid Wi-Fi, you know, and, and I, by the way, I have been in an organization before where actually some people's connectivity let them down, which meant they couldn't be included mm. to the point that we said, well, actually, it's critical that you make sure for these meetings you're in a well-connected area. And that is, was a thing you learn over time. I think that's less of an issue now, now that Wi-Fi is so readily available and is pretty solid. But technology, I do think, is keeping up. What do you think? So uh, I've done uh, projects with, with uh, so I assemble teams together from nowhere and put them all together and then we kind of pull apart um, at the end. And, you know, so so I, I, my preference is Zoom, actually. I mean, I don't know whether I'm supposed to say that on here, but anyway, I am. Hey, uh, I like it. It's simple. It's simple for people to, to, to use. Uh, and we put up spreadsheets and... Um, timetables and all sorts of things and and you know it's I, I guess you know there are more sophisticated systems available but frankly we don't need anything more sophisticated than a basic spreadsheet um, <laughs> or a set of uh, tables and timetables and and what people are doing and when they're going to do it by and do you know what I think there is a you know I mentioned benefits at the very beginning of this sometimes I find that doing virtual meetings can be more productive and more efficient and focusing for the people involved. I don't quite know why that is, but I find that people are tend to get involved 
um, and, and get more included? Picking up on a point you made just a few minutes ago. I have a theory as to why I think it's more focused. And that's because you have the lack of ability to read someone's body language to make a point. Um, I think when you're in a face-to-face setting, you can see when people lean forwards or kind of are agitating and mm-hmm. I want to say something here. And eventually they'll either they'll either then interject or you'll go, you want to say something here or you will then facilitate that. And I think there is a, a you know, <clears throat> you and I see this in the events we will hold. Today we had a small group. Um, and that overran hugely because there was this um, let's let's uh, you know let, let's all interject and talk all over each other. Whereas with a uh, remote meeting, um, you have a delay. International time zone, so technology helps in some respects um, because if you want to make a point, you have to wait for the opportunity. So on a um, virtual meeting. Um, a lot of our guys at the end of their update will say any questions and then there'll be a five second pause next person comes on and if there is a question type yes in the chat box and I'll come to you in order of the yeses so I think that helps focus because there is a at the beginning we've over time we've evolved that our team meetings are here's the running order um, and there is an opportunity to ask questions at the end in a face-to-face setting I think it is, sorry, what, sorry, can you repeat mm. that bit? What, what, what do you mean by that? I don't like that. Mm. Would anyone like a coffee? I was going to, yeah. and then they'd rattle about making coffee for yeah. Or 10 a glass of wine, and, yeah. 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 So I think that, that could be, that's a theory. Okay, well, so in addition to that, people report uh, an unprecedented, uh, unprecedented level of attention in virtual coaching sessions, uh, undistracted uh, when, it's, when it's visual. So uh, I, I don't want to contradict what you just said, but when people are actually looking at each other on the screen, there's nowhere else to go except to look at each other. And it's another dimension, which I thought I'd just pop I think, into I think you're right. It's quite funny. There's a, there's a guy in my team um, who wears glasses and therefore you can see, <laughs> see if he minimises the screen because the outlook's white and bright mm. and white and blue, and you can see the glare on his glasses um, from him minimising the, the meeting room. But I think you're right, having a camera switched on is is really important. I, I think you can't underestimate the ability, especially with a remote team, to have those cameras switched on. Um, and the first time I met one of my team, Nathan, there was no requirement for me to kind of have a sign out with my name on it. We knew what to, what we each other looked like because we'd been on on cameras for weeks and weeks and weeks in advance of our first meeting. Um, so when he came out and I picked him up at Heathrow Airport in the UK, um, you know it was easy um, to to identify him. So I think cameras are very important. And funny thing is, technology these days, um, people know where the webcam is and it's well positioned now to be centre and above the screen. So that even if you're staring at the screen, looking at their face. It almost does look like you're looking to them into them eye to eye to the point that actually sometimes you become conscious and think I've been gazing into their eyes for too long and you look away from the monitor consciously. Well, so um, I, so one of the things to, to, to bear in mind if you are doing that uh, visual communication is uh, if you're trying to impress a client with the top half of your uh, outfit being suit-like um, and, and the rest is, is a pair of pyjamas and then you get up to pick up a coffee guilty just remember uh, that the client is going to see that note self uh, it's funny so, so do you think there should be a dress code then for homeworking so that there are some there are only one meeting where I'll put a collar shirt on on the day knowing that I've got my camera on 
with a VIP meeting. Otherwise, I'm polo t-shirt or a hoodie. What's your thoughts? I uh, internal. I haven't got a hoodie. Um, I can tell. Actually, you. no. Christopher did buy me a hoodie once. Uh, but I do have uh, a, an attitude towards wearing more casual clothes, not like Dominic Cummings, but um, probably slightly more stylish than that. Okay. Oh, for the international listener, uh, Dominic Cummings is a, an advisor to the Conservative Party uh, who looks a bit like a tramp. Have you ever done a um, a Skype or virtual comms in your gym jams? Yes. <laughs> so have I. Um, right. And my, my desk's on a hydraulic lift, so I have it stood up. So then you oh, can yes. only see my neck and above. Oh, I think that's a marvellous thing. Yeah, um, and, and that's the other thing. When you're working remotely, you have to be super conscious of your step count. Um, in fact, one of, my, one of my teams I worked in once upon a time for a fun one day we had a competition to see who could do the least steps in 24 hours because we were remote workers all working from home huh. uh, to the point that we were using our, our, our chairs, our de- you know, our office chairs to scooch to the toilet so that we could do less steps. Oh. Uh, I did all right. I did 68 steps all day. It's not bad. No. Not bad. Three children. Should, should we try and get practical? Let's okay. get practical. One second. Okay, um, so Ant, you raised the point about delegating mm-hmm. and getting everybody involved in the meetings. Uh, and unlike your previous point about steps, uh, the rotating chair, uh, which is getting every everyone involved in being a leader uh, for different things. And, and I think virtual comms actually does give up that opportunity quite nicely. Uh, and, and helping people to, to sort of feel involved by what, what they're leading. Um, you, also, you also mentioned uh, other, other technologies um, coming into play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the example of the emojis and smiley happy faces and things going on around and in the meeting as well as beyond through things like WhatsApp. Uh, it, it seemed to be a, a fantastic way of you know taking that meeting and I don't know making making a bit fun and, and not really kind of boring and formal um, but like you know two meetings going on at the same time and I've definitely been involved in that kind of behavior so we on our whatsapp group <clears throat> we are unashamedly this is not official so we say it's a thread but nothing official should be communicated via whatsapp this is all about fun so photos how are you doing informal so we have a happy birthday calendar so everyone in our team has the birthday on the calendar but that's how we kind of make it that there is a conscious disconnect between what you and i would talk about over the over our office partition yeah things yeah did you know so and so's you know got a new um baby sister or, yes yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah i don't know where that came from it's probably that baby that got me going at the beginning. Um, and, and you mentioned that really great term, actually, which is um, so conscious inclusion, being really conscious about including everybody. Uh, and, you know, the, the, being attentive and, and actually where you can use uh, your camera, keep it switched on, mm. you know, because the next best thing to a face-to-face conversation uh, is, a, is a virtual conversation that is face-to-face. Uh, you know, and then obviously you've got the audio and, and, and so on. What I wanted to, um, how are we doing on time, by the way? Are we... We're at an hour. Okay, right. Well, I've got, That's okay. 
Okay, well, I've got one more, one more thing to add, and that is to put this through the Know Me, Focus Me, Value Me filter, uh, which I think, I think is really uh, an important part of uh, this whole thing. And I, I think it wraps it up quite nicely, actually, Ant, uh, because, you know, the trust piece where we started was, you know, knowing, knowing people sufficiently so that when you get into virtual communications uh, and virtual meetings, it's not just remote in both senses of the word. You know, you know this person, you know, you know their story. And I, and I think the WhatsApp idea actually is, is great about connecting up with the human stuff. Just topping up the wine, by the way. If you Thank you, Ant. It's very nice. Um, and so, that you know, the, the, what do we need to know about people so that we can make the virtual meetings and virtual teams really hum, really be become effective. So my recommendation was, if it's affordable, is to, you know, obviously we're talking global here, yeah. is, is you know, at least try, and if it's even once a year or something, just getting everybody together uh, so that people can know stuff about each other really and, and hold each other and touch each other and pat each other on the back and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, and then, you know, the focus me part, I think, is the very deliberate uh, way that we use the technology uh, to focus the meeting and to be conscious of uh, the tasks and the project um, goals, the process. Uh, and I, I mentioned that with things like Zoom, you can you can show you know your spreadsheets and uh, your tables. I, I know that there are more sophisticated models for project managers. I don't need all of that stuff uh, because what I've got is is sufficient. The value me uh, is you know giving attention, uh, the equality of interest and airtime to everybody, and and not just creating this uh, remote hub around people that. Uh, are in your office you need to involve everybody equally uh, in that and make it consistent so I, I think that know me focus me value me again through uh, virtual meetings and virtual teams is absolutely rock-solid uh, as, a, as a means to have a conversation with your virtual team about how the hell are we going to do this <clears throat> I uh, think you raise a very important point there. And, and for those of you that do manage international teams, which is becoming more commonplace these days, um, be absolutely... Um, uh, you need to mandate the importance of having one or two face-to-face -face interventions a year. Um, my team have one all-team get-together per year. Um, I have my directs together at least twice a year with that one being the big team meeting. We get together once other time a year. Um, but I think without that, um, people, every time they've left it, have said it's invaluable. And I'm unashamedly, it's top. It's the last thing that gets cut from my budget. If I'm asked for savings, um, I'm, I'm prepared to give up everything um, ahead of um, a face-to-face -face intervention. Fantastic. Uh, so I think it comes to that um, point in our podcast now where we go over to the very important questions that we get asked by, yep. have we got some from our 
listeners. We do. Now. We do. Yep, yep. By the way, I need to give a mention to Joanne um, Rendell, um, who um, commented on a social media post, and I promised I'd give her a shout out. So, um, hello to Joanne. Oh, I just had this conscious thing that um, someone said, oh, I'm listening. So, um, And I have a sense that our listener base is growing by the minute. And hopefully not declining because we're at the hour mark. Um, Can you now. tell me how, and, and I think this is an indicator of our, our stunning uh, popularity, success so far. Uh, how many downloads did we get on our last podcast? I'm not allowed to say. Oh, really? Um, oh. Purely because of commercial reasons, but it's significant. Um, it has uh, four figures in it, um, so I guess that's good. Right. Um, but I will not say any more than that. That could be four thousand. It could be one thousand and one, or it could be nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. But that, I think that I think um, for our listeners, uh, you are um, part of our our growing listener base. We yeah. started off with one listener, as we talked about it through the first few podcasts. I My think- wife's not one, by the way. She hasn't listened to a single episode yet. Uh, and she also thinks we're losers for not saying hello to Kid Jensen on the plane yesterday. Sorry to break it to you. Has Christabel really listened? Yes. Yes. Hi, no, Christabel. No, no, definitely. I've met Mrs. Bradley. Yes. And um, she's she is she is definitely a fan. She's still Mrs. Bradley after the last episode two or whatever it was when you... Yes. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure that she's listened through the whole thing yet. Thank goodness. So that is a relief to me. Yeah. Super. Do you want a question? Uh, throw me a question. So this is from James via LinkedIn. Worst personality traits you've seen in your former leaders? Oh, bullying. Tell me more. Um, and, oh, God. Uh, there was one guy uh, that I had the misfortune to work for. And it actually, he wasn't really a leader. Um, but... He did own the company, and he he was brutal. Actually, he was really, really foul, really rude. Uh, and he said to me, he was Dutch. Not that that's got anything to do. I love Dutch people, but he just happened to be Dutch. And he said, uh, Jonathan, you will never be a salesman. You will never make it as a salesman. I think you name-checked him on a previous episode. Did I really? Oh, Your accent has suggested, I think. I so. know, I did try, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, he he was um, he was a bully. He was a bully. I can't stand bullies. in. Uh, so I left that company. And uh, in my next incarnation, I became... I'm going to say it. I became a shit-hot salesman. Only because I was so passionate about what I was actually selling. And before that... I was selling shaking machines. Oh my goodness. And I couldn't sell them. I was offered a job once to sell um, mattresses, foam mattresses to hospitals in the public sector. And I said, I have to be passionate about what I'm selling. So thank you, but no thanks. That's that's a whole different series, isn't it? We could get into some really... Mm. So, so I think everybody in organisations should sell something really shit. <laughs> hey, we've got a first explicit mention from no, JB. No, the second, I think I said it twice. Did you? I think it's this Pinot Grigio. Jeez. Have more. Uh, this good. is the Pinot Grigio podcast evening. Um, so worst personality traits that um, I've seen in my former, former being the important word here, in case the boss happens to be listening. Um, not giving the, me the ability to think for myself. 
um, codependency. Uh, and to expand on that, um, a few things. Micromanaging. So remote working would be an absolute no-no, yeah. please. Uh, so, uh, so last century. Yeah, absolutely. Um, must, um, must be in the office at least three days a week. In fact, the other two, you need to be in other offices. Um, that, 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 that's okay. Um, but I think I outgrew the role within six months because I knew the answers, but I didn't feel empowered enough to make the decisions without getting sanction from the boss that I reported into, despite the fact that they hired me to do all the thinking and the decision-making, there was this inability to allow me to actually press the button uh, metaphorically. Um, so for me, the worst trait I saw in my former leader um, was this inability to let go, which I think should be a, a former oh, topic. There is a so great and that is by the way a listener suggestion we have had a listener suggestion of a topic for a future upcoming episode of how does a leader let go let's do that I think that's a fantastic title yes but in terms of the worst trait that I saw of a former boss they weren't very nice anyway a bit, it's a bit bullyish I think linked to what you're saying really yeah. um, they didn't want to empower your thinking um, and there is and we me and JB have data by the way that suggests if you spend your life instructing everybody on how to ride the bike when they can ride the bike already they will leave far quicker than if you actually empower them to think for themselves you know how do you think we can improve the gear change on this bike um, because you know that they know the answers if you don't empower their thinking and let them speak then you're going to struggle um, that was the chair creaking <laughs> This microphone's too good. But I'm conscious they'll go. It's going to pick up any uh, movement. That you... <laughs> one second. Here we go. One, two, three. Ready? Lovely. To dear listeners, um, my chair doesn't make that kind of noise, so I'll leave you to decide. I'm going to put that on the Airbnb review of this, yeah. this delightful place in Luxembourg. Um, this is a question from Gladys. Um, this has been written on a post-it note here. Oh, great. I'll, um, I'll how do you coach the uncoachable? Well, you can't. Do I have to swallow my drink before <laughs> saying something else? Well, you can't, can you? I think you... Uh, to, to, to build on JB's point, he's, he's normally very good at expanding on his answers, so let me... Um, me and JB are um, quite firm of the belief that not everybody is coachable, and that may surprise some people listening to this podcast that have met us face to face we are the champions of coaching as the default position of a leader manager coach but um to jb's point you can't coach uncoachable people um if they don't have to link to our previous point the ability to think for themselves um then um how can you coach them to think for themselves um, if they don't know the answers they don't know what they don't know um, and actually, if they have a behavioural problem, an attitude problem, um, coaching is going to exasperate their behaviour, um, even if they have competence. So, someone who is well, let's 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 just unpick this for a second. What is a coachable person, and what is an uncoachable person? A coachable person is someone who is taking responsibility for their own learning, performance and development, i.e. their thinking. Uh, an uncoachable person is the exact opposite, someone who is not taking responsibility for their learning, performance and development. So what do you do with someone like that? You instruct them. 
and you instruct them. And then hopefully you get to a point where you can supervise them. And hopefully you then move them towards a point where you can mentor them. And then you get into that kind of sweet spot, that transformational zone between mentoring and coaching. That's, that's that journey. But some people, you know, let's be honest about this, mm. do not want to go on that journey for whatever reason. Uh, you know, they are a, of a fixed mindset that that is not for them um, and that some people will not take responsibility uh, for their learning and their performance. They believe it, it is the, the boss's job to do that. We heard that in a comment in the last few weeks from somebody we were working with that someone's answer was, I'm not paid to think you are, which shows you that, that that's a direct report to manager statement, by the way. Um, which is pretty scary, actually. I think there is probably clearly bigger issues at play in that particular yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, so, Gladys, I'm not well, sure whether we've answered your question. I, well, I hope so. I, Gladys, it's a fantastic question, and I didn't mean to be trite when I answered it in that way. But I, you know, non-coachable people are not coachable unless uh, you start using other other means to get them to that point. So, don't coach an uncoachable person, whatever you do. So I the next question are we done with this question on conscious because I'm, I'm conscious happy, of time. I'm, I'm happy that we we've done a good bit of thinking on that I hope. Okay. So the next question um comes from a person that has asked specifically to be anonymous oh my because goodness. they're worried their boss listens to this podcast but that's Oh my goodness. partly why they've asked the question. I'm scared now. Um it's a good question. Um how do you find time to lead and coach people? if there is a time issue in your agenda to do so? Wow. Okay, so... Do you want me to give some extra context to the question to give you time to collect your thoughts? Because I saw this question in advance, whereas I'm guessing I've sprung this upon you. It's a big question. So I, I let me just have a slurp of my... Okay. So for the benefit of the listener, the individual in question... Um, uh, probably spend 60% of their working hours being a subject matter expert and the thinker for their team. The other 40% they lead a team, but actually they admit that that should not be the default position of their time split between managing and individual contribution. Um, they are acutely aware of the benefits of good communication and good coaching and different approaches to managing their people. Um, and they now feel frustrated that they don't have the capacity to do so. Be prepared. I'm going to take a slap whilst I prepare. Be prepared to work round the clock to put or push the proverbial boulder up the hill. It is, it is hard um, to form your leadership uh, position it is it is hard to, to perform that and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of guts uh, to to be a great leader and to do what's right for the business and its people that takes an awful lot of hard work and a great deal of communication to be a great coach and to literally change people's lives and to help people to deliver the performance of their lives 
is bloody hard work. In addition to that, you're doing your day job. You're, you're managing the performance of the business and your specialism and what you're required to do and to hit those targets. And you're required to put together a high performance team based on high levels of trust. This is an enormous amount of work to get there. But all I can say to this anonymous listener is that... You know who I'm yeah, about, right? Yeah. All I can say is that if, you, if, you, if you're focused um, on substantially improving the quality of your leadership, your coaching, and your, and your management of the business, you will push the boulder over the hill. And your people uh, will take responsibility for the performance levels that you've had on your shoulders all this time. It will turn. It will turn. So I'm not going to lie to you. In order to do that and to get the boulder over the hill, sometimes you have to face a lot of shit. You have to face a lot of challenge. You have to double down, double up, push and push and push. But if you keep doing that, people will come behind you and support you and push too. And when you get that boulder over the hill, there is nothing better than that. It is liberating and exciting, and you'll feel it when it happens. I'm not sure what I can add to that, to be honest, um, because I simply would want to echo everything you've just said. Um, I think you, to, to, to put some timelines to it, um, commit yourself to 10 weeks of misery. Almost, do you know what? I'm going to compare this to making the baby sleep through. Remember that I'm sure as a as a parent listening to this oh podcast, um, eventually you get to a point. And by the way, I have a one year old who's pretty good at sleeping through, so we don't have that problem. But I remember with one of my other children, I have four. Um, we in the end had this commitment that we were going to have two weeks of absolute misery because we knew that we had to get this over the, the boulder over the hill um, of just you know the 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 the, 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 the kind of methodology around getting your baby to sleep through. He eventually slept through. Um, I have three boys, so take your pick. Um, but um, in terms of investing time, I think it's not dissimilar. Um, I think actually, um, if it means for for six, nine weeks, you have to do the subject matter expertise work in times that are not helpful for your well-being in the short term. What JB is referring to is that moment where you recognise actually for the the investment you've put in that nine week period, all of a sudden there is this sense of hold on a minute, I don't have to think for everybody anymore. Um, I can coach, um, and and this is a big topic maybe for a separate podcast. Um, the the benefits of coaching and what coaching truly is, um, because I think there is. Uh, and it's been brought up in this podcast as well as previous episodes and I'm trying to talk up a bit because there's a plane flying over our apartment once more um, I think there is a um, when I learnt to coach from the man sat opposite me on this podcast the biggest um, realisation light bulb that I had was that I didn't have to think for my team anymore and um, to um, be a good coach does take time to invest 
but you do see the benefit because all of a sudden you're not having to think for your six, nine direct reports anymore because they can think for themselves and they come to you less because they feel empowered to think for themselves. And actually when they do come to you, it is really important that they need your wisdom as opposed to you can coach them. Well, I think, I, realistically speaking, I, I think it takes, you know, a, a, a long time uh, to to make the, these things happen, and you know, some some situations, it, it you know, it, it is a matter of months. In in bigger turnaround situations, it, it can it can be you know a year or two uh, to get the real dividend uh, from the from the work that you put in, but but it is life changing. Uh, and I know that from my own experience and from from countless uh, clients that I, I've worked with uh, over the years. Thank goodness. Uh, what, any more questions? We have one more. Oh, this one's a dazzler. I like this question. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure I can answer it, but it's a really good cool oh, question. Oh, my goodness. Right. You've inherited an underperforming oh, team. Hell. right. And the old and popular boss has been fired. Week one, what's the plan? Oh my goodness! <laughs> and the ass has said anonymous. Oh my goodness! Which is disappointing. Um, Do you want me to reread that to you again? No, it's okay. Do you know my starting point? You know, if that happened to me now, um, I, I think my JB was rubbing his eyes. By the way, as I was reading that question, <laughs> and he's taking his glasses off. Glasses off, eyes rubbed, which means I'm really giving it a serious bit of bloody thinking. And my, so my my starting point will it's always be a good question, be, though, right? It's a wonderful question, and so my starting point will always be about uh, trust and values, and you know how the hell are we going to do this uh, together? What's our um, what's our modus operandi? What, what where? Sorry, we... JB. Previous feedback suggests you need to stop tapping the table. When you get excited, oh, God, you I'm tap doing the it table. Again, aren't I? Oh, sorry. I it's just a great question. Good. Thank you for that feedback. No worries. <laughs> Um, it's the wine yeah. yeah so I think um, my starting point will always be right what do we want what do we want we want a high performance team when do we want it we want it now okay in order to get that what must we do it's about trust and that would be my starting point because uh, I don't want to lead a team where there ain't no trust so uh, I, I build the team around that one word and I would get them uh, really working with me uh, on what, what they understood uh, that to be. Uh, one of the things that I always do when I'm working with new teams uh, in organizations is I stick up three, three words on, as you know, Ant, uh, on a flip chart. And it is um, something that I learned from a f fabulous um, man called William Rogers. And I, it's only three of the words that I learned, but it is open, honest, fair. And open, honest, fair is a, is a starting point for, right, when I'm working with people, uh, these are the three things uh, that I think are really, really important uh, to kick off with. And I describe each of those words and how it affects me. And then I ask them to say, right, what do you think about those words and what are your words? And I, it, every time I do that, um, it gets some quite useful uh, bits of thinking about, right, in order for this week, this day, these two days to work, we've got to have this present. And it's like a, it's like a contract. So I, 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 I think I'd need that 
I'd need to know that we were committed to building high levels of trust in the team so that we would so that we got to high performance levels and then I would want to look at uh, what those high performance levels uh, might achieve what is the potential of the of the team uh, working in that way you know we got the right people in the team uh, you know do we do we know how we're actually going to participate in this and what's the you know this high performance team what does that look like in terms of an outcome um, and then start getting into all the other bits and bobs like you know the time scales and the processes and what we're going to use to get to where we want to get to and so on so that's that that would be my first 100 days in office I think would be to to focus my team around those things and to to hopefully get rid of the nasty taste that they had in their mouth this heralds a completely new way of working and I think for the anonymous uh, question person there he's given you far more Whew. than you asked for you asked for week one he's given you a hundred days oh my goodness wow that's that's value right there um, so my take on this question um, to complement in addition to what JB has said because nothing he said I disagree with there at all um, is to pick up on a point that JB has mentioned previously actually which is to spend some time knowing, focusing and valuing your people. They are going to feel disturbed because in your question, you stated that the previous and popular boss has been exited from your organization. They are going to be reeling about that if they are popular. You come in um, and in theory, there is a risk that the direct reports believe that you have had them or facilitated or enabled the exit of this individual. And the truth is more often than not, you are hired in confidence because there is an underperforming issue. It's not your fault. And if it is actually the case that you have forced them out, then I'm, I'm not answering the question. Screw you. <laughs> um, but presuming that there clearly is an underperforming team, which is what your question suggests, there is a performance issue at hand here. Yeah. Um, and the elephant in the room needs to be addressed. But you are here because you are seen as the organization's right person for the job to transform this team. Um, and I guess you are conscious walking in day one of this new job that some of the team may not be part of your future vision. Um, and all of this needs to be taken into account. But I, uh, so I think number one, um, a vision. You know, you need to arrive with a vision for what is your why? What is your operating manual team for this transition period? I've arrived. Um, you know, clearly John, for argument's sake, has moved on uh, and I wish him well. Um, but here's how we are going to be doing things. I'm going to do things a bit differently, probably, but I would love to hear from you. Now, I wouldn't open up in a group setting an opportunity to hear from your team as to how they want to work. I think the open, honest, fair is a great thing for a team, um, team kind of culture, if you will. But I would also recommend in week one you have a one-to-one -one where 70% of the speech comes from the other person and not you you listen and the structure is what's working what's not working what is the reason for the underperformance and what can you do to help us achieve our our gap that is currently in play and I think you'll get a lot from those meetings in terms of insight and I think the fact that you are listening um, and not instructing early doors will allow people to feel that they can air their dirty laundry. But equally, you are not judging what they say, but at the same time, be conscious 
not to agree or disagree with anything they say until you have a conclusion in place. There is a risk if you're seen as the listening soundboard that they can say, well, the reason that we are underperforming is because the product's crap. Um, the, the vision from the top is not good. And they give a whole host of reasons that it's not their own fault. So you need to make sure that there is individual accountability from everyone in the team as to what they think they could do to make a difference immediately. And then everything else JB said absolutely goes hand in hand, hopefully, and doesn't contradict. Yeah, no, that, that, that's good, and That's good. Okay. Well, that hopefully, I think, is anything to add on that question? Or are, we, are we done? I think we're nearly done so and what uh, what happens next I mean because you're going off to all sorts of other places I think um, so we are we, we, we are going to be cheeky we're recording next week's tomorrow I believe um, but I may as well cover the future now so we don't have to bother tomorrow because we are now on 25 on yeah. this particular episode so um, next week I have the privilege of being at home because you and I were due to go to Argentina um, which has been postponed to February now. Um, so a working from home week next week. Week after, um, I'm in Hong Kong. But this weekend, very exciting, we're viewing houses. Oh. Because as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we have sold our house. Um, and ironically, it's always the way, and I hope that the person that has purchased my house is not listening to this podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, by all accounts, they spent months and months looking until our house came on and then they bought it in a heartbeat because it was their vision. Um, but they're now saying to their solicitors and our agent that they want a quick completion because they need to move really, really quickly. But we're in a similar situation. We are not going to buy anything because we want the next home to be the home for life. So um, I am conscious that this weekend, hopefully we find the dream home and we get it for the right price is the ambition um but yeah there's lots of travel coming up but first and foremost um it is house hunting season which is not a good time of year although it could be because it's a good negotiation time of year and if the vendor of the house i might buy is listening you need to cut your costs because i'm not paying asking price what about you uh i am doing comparatively little this weekend apart from going to a little cafe bar in ramsgate called eats and beats and there is a guy who used to be the bass guitarist in squeeze who is doing a little session well like a, a a mono he's doing a little mono session solo sorry yeah um and he does a very nice rendition of Pulling mus- Muscles from a Shell. Is that a song or is that something with fishing? No, it's not a dining experience. <laughs> it's a song. <laughs> we say it's, doing it. it's called In Pulling Eats Muscles. and Beats. At Eats and Beats. And uh, they so do confused. a very nice margarita. So I'm going down there to fill my boots with margaritas and to pull a few muscles from a shell. That. <laughs> with squeeze. Well, that... that... <laughs> concludes our uh, episode I think it's five now I'm not going to bother trying to count it because someone's it's called out much. the fact that we said episode three was three and actually at was four at this point in the evening it's impossible to remember how many we've done I think it is a, it, might be a, it might be episode six Do anyway you know, I'm going to make it a policy of not knowing okay don't know focus on I don't value. need to know no? I, 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 if I store that piece of information I'll forget to do something else like get up tomorrow morning 
well, and that's important because we have a, a room full Indeed. of well, brimming with, with an audience yeah. awaiting our excitement and infinite wisdom. Indeed. Um, right, so to wrap things up, a few pieces of, of opportunity for our wonderful listeners listening to this podcast. Number one, if you love this podcast, please do, please, please, please recommend this podcast to your friends. It would be great to have a um, higher digit with the four numbers. Um, rather than a, I'm not going to be specific, but a lower four-digit number because it's. I'm um, look. I didn't expect it to be this popular, which I'm very happy about. But there's always better. So please do recommend. What the were your expectations? I didn't expect to have anything more than a, <laughs> under a hundred, to be honest. And then in 20 years' time, when we're chief executives of monster organisations, someone will hear it and fire us. And then yes, and then go. What did you say way back when? You can't yeah. stand to be an MP. That'd be That's outrageous. You can't be a member of Congress. Um, I didn't expect it to be as popular as it is after a few weeks. But anyway, thank you. If you like it, please leave a five-star review. If you don't like it, we would appreciate the feedback. Um, and then once we've fixed it and rectified it, then leave a five-star review. Because the more people that get five-star reviews, the more opportunity people that don't know us can find us through search. But that requires lots of five-star reviews because it's seen as highly recommended by listeners. So that's number one. Number two. Um, uh, one of the pieces of feedback we've had from one of our listeners is they love the listener questions. So please keep them coming in. You can um, find us via LinkedIn or you can also find us on Twitter, which is uh, lead, learn, pod, lead, learn, pod, all one word, um, which coincides in a second podcast, which at some point me and Nadia will get off the ground. Um, there is a, it is up there, but and we've been so busy with lots of stuff going on that we can't find the time to record our first few podcasts. But please do leave us a review. Please submit your questions. And like Paul, Uncle Paul, um, please do um, suggest future topics for the podcast as well. So if actually there's something you want us to talk about and ramble on about 40 minutes and hopefully give you some dead practical takeaways. Do you think Paul would be still listening at this point? I think he might have switched off by now. I, well, who knows? Let's find out. So I'm going to yes. give you a code now, Paul, which oh, is yeah. which is 1297. Nice. Uh, if you say 1297. Then he becomes... Platinum a, listener? Well, I think not only a platinum listener, mm-hmm. um, but he will be an honorary member of our advisory panel. Can I ask, are we ever going to invite pa- uh, guests onto this podcast? Or do we like it just us two? Is it going to work or is it going to work not as well? Uh, I think we need to put it to the test. and Because um, you've mentioned William a few times. Yeah. Uh, I Let's see. I, I think whether he would want to be involved in <laughs> in something like this. But actually, if we got a nice nice shardy or something, I think he might participate. So we need or a bottle first. Cheap shit from the bloody petrol station. Available at all good petrol stations. Shell, I believe it was, wasn't it? It's, and I, do you know, it's sort of growing on me now. Yeah, but it is bottle six. So. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, this has been the, uh, <laughs> I think, what's it called? Oh, yeah, the, Glo- the Global Leadership Podcast. I've been Anthony Price. And I've been Jonathan Bradley, hoping that you will continue to give us a damn good listening to. Ta-ta!